0: Hey guys, what's going on? This is David Avalon. And before we get started with this episode of Breaking the Guard, just wanted to give a quick word to the website davidmma.com. As you guys might know, I started this new site maybe about a month ago and I'm putting up all of my posts, videos, courses, news items, all on this platform uh, that we have built from scratch. It is a rethinking of the way I distributed content before and rather than paying one by one for courses here you just pay for monthly access and you get access to all of our courses and in just a month's time we have over a thousand videos 27 courses 55 posts uh I've been posting daily Uh, and not just techniques but covering philosophy fitness mindset uh, training tips So go ahead and visit davidmma.com. It's free to enroll as a guest, which will give you access to, I think, three or four courses and a bunch of of the posts that I've put out there. And you can join either as a subscriber, which gives you access to all the daily posts, which is as low as $4 a month. Or you could become a member, which gives you access to everything, the courses, forums, all the posts, for as little as $12 a month. Uh, so go ahead, uh, take a look. There's no, obviously, contracts or anything like that. You just go month to month, or you could pay annually and save even more. Just visit davidmma.com.
1: Hello, welcome to the Breaking the Guard podcast with your host, me, David Avalon. And on today's episode, we're going to talk a lot about the Fight Pass Invitational Number 5, which just took place yesterday on, on Sunday. And I'll talk about some of the results and the trends, particularly with how to break somebody in a grappling match or in an MMA fight. But uh, before we get into the Fight Pass Invitational, I do want to talk about one thing with Khalil Rantree. He fought in the UFC uh, last fight night of the year uh, against Anthony Smith dropped him, uh, and (laughs) it was a really uh, unusual thing where he had picked up a giant hammer fist and just held it like he had a hammer and he was going to swing and kill Anthony Smith because Smith was done, right? His legs became jelly and then he couldn't stand. He was completely there. And it was almost like uh, Khalil was holding that hammer fist just to let the ref know, like, if you don't stop this... (laughs) I'm going to be bringing the pain, you know. Unfortunately, the ref did stop it. Uh, and that was a real iconic moment. I think that that's going to be memed quite a bit in the future. Uh, but it was also good sportsmanship because he could have really drilled and, you know, destroyed Anthony there. So, good win for him. And then he now he breaks into the top 10. He's been one of those guys who's been really scary for a long time. I mean, uh, uh, his kickboxing is pretty nasty you know and he's got a lot of power so if he lines up everything just right you know he could be a contender for that title all right so let's go ahead and move into the fight pass invitational as you can see i'm a little bit sick i'm just getting over it now i was supposed to be there live and uh i ended up having to watch it from home which is a bummer but uh a lot of good action that took place uh what was interesting was the trend in this wasn't like a couple of past five pass invitationals where you would see like Big Dan hitting that uh, dog bar from a half guard or uh, Mason Fowler hitting arm bars and triangle chokes and all these submissions which are like more like what I consider like quick catches. Whereas in this five pass invitational, It was more classical jiu-jitsu where people were being broken down over time and then giving up the tap, right? Um, Now, we go through the individual results. The first fight of the night was Andy Varela versus Achilles Rocha. Uh, Achilles is the son of Wagner Rocha. He's 17 years old, but he's already a big guy as it is. And an interesting matchup. Uh, Not as much... Submissions, as I thought there would be, I both of those guys usually go pretty hard to catch things, and uh, I figured it would be like a submission trade-off, but it turned out to be kind of a a more of a stale affair. Not a lot of submissions. I can't recall any significant ones. Um, Some interesting scrambles, like the very first thing that was kind of like uh, Andy went for a throw-by, and then. Instantly off the throw by Achilles Granby rolled out of it. It was like a really quick read, which was kind of neat. But other than that, not much happened. Now, one thing I have to say, they did change the rule set. Before they were doing EBI rolls, basically um, regular time period, no points, no score, no nothing. And then overtime EBI starts. You know, so they opted for what they called hybrid ADCC rules, where they said the first But the regulation period, there's no points, but there are negative points. And they will give two warnings, and then they'll give a minus point for passivity um, or not progressing in the action. And uh, the overtime would be a scored ADCC style overtime with those minus points traveling, of course. So... uh, It was curious to see it because they turned out to give out a lot of minus points i mean (laughs) it was an unprecedented amount of minus points uh i think one match uh they gave out seven minus points so imagine i mean it was excessive i know they were trying to perhaps do it more wrestling style which to try to push the fighters but At times, it just seemed like they were just giving them out just to give them out. Uh, And most of these guys who end up... I think there was very few people who actually scored points. It was just all minus points. So, weird. However, it did seem that the people who were awarded the victory were the actual winner. So, at least uh, there was some justice there. But let's keep going. So, Achilles ended up winning that match. It looked like Andy had the upper hand in the beginning. And then when they went into the overtime, it looked like he faded a little bit. And Achilles uh, started taking control of the action. And I think Achilles, if I recall, he finished like in just uh, top side control or close to being passed. But he... Let me actually see before I just talk off out of turn. Let's see. Yeah, he ended up winning by the guard pass. Yeah, so they both had minus points and then Achilles won by two to minus one. Right, uh, the next match was Hannah Goldie versus Amanda Matza. Uh, This is interesting because they they both had come in with armbar submissions. And uh, sure enough, they went hunting for armbars right away, particularly uh, Hannah. And she was going for the top knot repeatedly. And ultimately, she got it. And was able to finish an unconventional armbar, rather than what you would think, just a regular armbar. Here, she actually pushed it off to the side, um, so that was pretty interesting. And um, the next match was Aaron Wilson versus Christian Guzman. I uh, didn't know much about either of these two gentlemen, but Aaron Wilson was in control of the match for the majority of the the bout. And, ultimately, he also was able to secure armbar victory. So, uh, and I would say these bottom two, these last two armbars, if I look through the rest, these were the only ones that I would consider, like, they were catches, right? Like, they got, a opponent was fresh. They, they weren't broken yet. They just got caught, right? The rest of these were... Broken, right? And this is what I was talking about, like, mental will. Because we had Wagner Rocha versus Victor Silverio. And, you know, Rocha's very tough. You know, and he likes to push a hard pace. He plays rough. And this was no exception. He was really wearing on Victor. And I believe it got into the overtime. And you could tell that Victor was done. And uh Wagner was was reading, seeing that, and it's like blood in the water, you know, for a shark. And he was just attacking. Eventually, he got to the back. And from the back, he was able to pressure the choke. And, again, this was one of, like, a battle of attrition. It obviously, it was a key part of the strategy was just to wear on on Victor and ultimately go into one of uh, Wagner's strong areas, which is the back mount, and finish with a very naked choke uh following match was Jonatus gracie versus nikki ryan this was one where uh again it was decided by minus points right so uh they didn't get that many in comparison to some that you'll see later but um this was a, like a minus two to a minus one jonatas gracie won. uh it just seemed gracie had the better wrestling and nikki said he wanted to show his wrestling but really didn't get a good opportunity to jonatas was physically the bigger of the two and uh he was able to control most of the action and again not many uh submission attempts from either party I would have thought that Nicky Ryan would have thrown up more leg lock attempts or whatnot didn't seem uh that he did whether or not they were available is another question entirely but it was curious it was just all points of fair and a very positionally based uh, battle. The next one was Victor Hugo versus Daniel Menasui, uh, Big Dan. And um, this was interesting because it looked like Big Dan had the edge. In the regulation, at least, uh, he was able to score all the takedowns. He was uh, able to sweep and get on top. But when they went into the overtime, it looked like he was getting tired. And uh, Victor Hugo was still. In the game but even uh, it was only into the very maybe last minute or so big dan was in top uh he was losing by a minus point and so he needed to try to get that point back and then he ended up getting swept in, into the mount and the moment he got swept into the mount he could see all the fight just left him and he he tapped to an americana from the mount didn't really tried hard to escape it. I think he was just mentally done. And this just goes to show, like, from, again, he's even though he's, like, 23, you know, I mean, and he's competed in the world championships a few times, he's still very green. And it's funny, because I was talking to my wife about this, and she's like, how can he, like, break spirit like that? He's such a big guy, you know? And I, I told her, that the reality is, many big guys are more cowardly than the smaller guys. And the reason being is that if you're a giant, and Big Dan is definitely a giant, it's very rare for someone to be able to physically challenge you, right? Like, it just doesn't happen. Uh, So whenever you face an opponent, they're usually much smaller than you, so it's, it's a relatively easy affair, right? But when you face another big guy or a bigger guy or a small guy but with a lot of heart and tenacity, it's kind of scary. Uh, because you're not used to being challenged uh, by like a valid opponent. So I have found from my experience that it's usually the bigger guys that have issues with heart. And not so much the smaller guys. Because the smaller guy by, def- by nature is always having to be brave because they're always fighting someone bigger than them. They're always fighting someone stronger than them. They're, you know, And so they have to get used to it. And it's kind of like the Napoleon syndrome, right? But like in, in a good way, whereas you get very brave because you're used to having to be brave because every confrontation for you is one that requires bravery. But when you're 300 pounds facing a 150-pound guy, bravery is not required, right? You just need to smash. Uh, so uh, he definitely has to do some more work in with his spirit which seems to be because when you when i've seen big dan lose it's never because he's technically uh deficient or he wasn't fast enough or strong enough or had enough stamina it's always something mental whether it was poor strategic um decisions or just like this he is mentally broken right so uh you might think, oh, this is easier to fix, but it's usually easier to fix a technical deficiency than a mental deficiency. Like you really have to dig at the source of it and unroot it. And I know they do a lot of things for toughening. Like they'll have them being around the whole time, just getting smothered and smashed, and then fight the next round. So they're they try to mimic that, but it's not the same, right? Um, it's kind of like a finisher's. Uh, remorse where you get very close to finishing somebody with the arm lock or something and then they escape and there's a moment of time where the guy going for the submission is just a little broken. They're like, Fuck I almost had this, you know? Um and that's a moment of weakness that they could have. So you have to frame yourself mentally in such a way that you're always um, game. Right? if you don't if you didn't finish something, you did some damage, right? Or you made progress to getting to that finish because that opponent gave you a position. But uh, mentally, he has to uh, strengthen himself a bit. But again, he's still very young, so he's still got a lot of time. The next, Mason Fowler and Hyson Rita. Uh, Mason uh, is pretty phenomenal, right? And especially, as uh, Gordon pointed out, in the commentary in UFC events he is undefeated as far as I know because he did a lot of submission on the ground events, he's won all of them he's beat Craig Jones multiple times he's beaten everybody that he, they put him against and now in the Fight Pass Invitational he won the last uh, heavyweight division and then he's he ended up beating Hyson Rita pretty easily uh, ended up catching him with a Kimura and this is another one where he kind of broke him right like what was interesting is that mason opted for a collar tie game from the standing position against you know the giraffe (coughs) excuse me of a man uh, rita which i'm not sure how he pulled it off because when you're facing someone that tall it's usually pretty hard to enforce a collar tie game because they're literally on top of you so one Normally, you're going to have to be reaching really high, which exposes your whole lower half, right? Um, And two, usually since they're on top, their collar tie is going to be much heavier. Um, So, I I still don't get how he was able to do that. Whether Rita just didn't uh, respect the ties, because he did let them sit there. You know, that's one thing that it's a very simple wrestling tactic, which you should never allow, which is don't let your opponent put their hand on your head. Because even though this seems like it's not a big deal, I'm pulling on it. And if you know how to hang your weight on that, now it's like maybe 70, 80 pounds of weight on the back of your neck, which doesn't really do well with that type of weight. And you just wear it out. And once your neck uh, extension gets worn out, now head snaps just destroy you and like it just tires you out completely because it's like the weak link of the chain you know uh, and that seemed to be the case here because mason uh controlled his neck for a big part of the bout and uh, he eventually took him down i forget with what take that he got him with but once he took him down it was pretty uh done deal you know he started working guard passing passes guard got to side control and then was camping out for side control for a while he was either looking for like a or side triangle because he was playing like north south quite a bit but i thought he was looking for the kimura and sure enough he did get that kimura ripped it pretty quick and uh that was done but rita wasn't really mounting any defense once he got past. i think he knew he was dead in the water And then uh, Mason called out Gordon Ryan, which was supposed to be his original opponent. And Gordon accepted. They did a face-off and all that. So uh, that'll be good. It's the one match that Gordon hasn't uh, had yet. And they've been trying to do it. So it would be good to see it. I'm not sure how that would work out. I mean, surprisingly, Mason's pretty heavy. He was 237 for that bout. So I know a lot of people say Gordon's a lot bigger. Well, not really. Uh, Gordon, I think, weighed in at 223 the last time he competed. So, if anything, Mason has a weight advantage, which is kind of unreal. But if you look at Mason's legs, you can probably see why. He's kind of built like me, which he's got <laughs> giant tree-trunk legs. Uh, uh, so then the next match, Nick Rodriguez versus Uisi Moyes. This was uh, one that almost could have been a catastrophe. And I- I'll explain Why? Nick Rodriguez dominated from start to finish. Regulation, overtime. He scored the the ankle pick early on Yuri Simoes, passed his guard, mounted him, passed his guard, mounted him, yet somehow picked up a minus point. And since Yuri Simoes was, like, bottom-mounted and, you know, in very compromised positions the whole time, he didn't rack up any minus points. So it was 0 to minus 1 going into the overtime. And, you know, the commentators were also saying, like, if Yuri Simoes ends up winning this match by a minus point, it's going to invalidate this roll set because clearly the better grappler wasn't winning. And it only came, you know, about the final minute uh, because, well, I think it got tied up. Yurisi Moise got a minus point, so it was minus one, minus one. And ultimately, uh, Nicky Rod got another takedown. It wasn't scored because his ADCC rolls in, in the overtime, so he turtled. But then he was able to finally s- s- stick him out. And once he got them out, he got four, and then uh, that was all she wrote. So Nick Rodriguez ends up winning uh, three to minus two. So very good performance for him. Yuri Simoes, he's a two-time the absolute champion, and he's the current reigning uh, absolute champion. But uh, and I, and this is a rematch where I believe Yuri had beaten Nick Rodriguez. So a good rematch victory for him. And he's clearly coming to the top. Of the heavyweight competitors. And I'll talk about that in a little bit. The next and final match was nicholas Marigali versus Felipe Pena. And this was definitely a match of breaking somebody. Now, uh, they started off, and again, Marigali was pushing the entire time. <clears throat> and he was always moving Pena back, uh, going for a lot of single legs. At one point, I think he hit, tried to do a counter uchimata against Pena when Pena tried to single leg him, but it was a lot of forward pressure that he was applying, and I do believe that he took him down with a single leg, and then, yes, he did, and then um, got on top, a lot of guard passing pressure. Pena th- is very good at defending his guard by using that uh, 50-50 to t- take their weight off of him, but... Uh, it started. You could see towards the end of the regulation, things were not going well for Pepena. He was starting to get fatigued, and I, I think it might have been like minus one to minus two negative points for or zero to minus one for the Pepena, right? What got silly was in the overtime. Marigali was still pouring on the pressure, and Pena was clearly fading bad. He was getting run out of bounds multiple times. <laughs> One of them, uh, Marigali had a single leg, picked it up high, and the out of bounds line, let's say, was here. Pena crawled and threw himself out of bounds as if like Marigali dumped him, which he didn't, and like. I mean, he threw him, and you remember this is on the stage, so it's probably about this high, you know, falling down uh, just to avoid the single leg. And uh, as a result, they restarted him in that position, and Pena didn't want to restart. He kept fighting. It was about a minute of struggle. And uh, Marigali is calling him out, saying he's just getting rest time, you know, because he's exhausted. The ref gave him a minus point just for the refusal to enter the position. He ultimately did, and then escaped right away. So, seemed to be just a... Because it was an easily defensible position. Um, but at that point, uh, he was minus six. They gave him six... He ended up getting up to minus seven. So, he got six minus points in the span of like three or four minutes. Now, he was stalling a lot... Uh, but for grappling terms, this seems a bit excessive. Uh, so it, it was pretty wild, you know, because I mean, short of disqualifying him, what are you going to do? But anyhow, eventually, uh, Marigali gets him to the ground, gets to his back, and body triangle isolates an arm, traps it, and at that point, Pena tapped. Relatively easy at that. He, he was done, right? He just needed to be put in a bad spot to give him a reason to tap out, but he was mentally broken at that point So this is why I say it's like classical jujitsu here where you know, you're just pouring a lot of pressure and letting the opponent compromise himself and Giving them a good reason to tap, right? Nobody wants to tap just to tap, but you give them a really good reason You know, you brutalize them a bit you got on their back. You got a strong position They'll be happy to be out of there, right? So now, when we look, we have really, as a result of these matches, you got three uh, really solid heavyweights. You got Marigali, you got Nick Rodriguez, and you got Mason Fowler. Right? Right? You could say Victor Hugo as well, although I don't think he's up there personally. But I could be wrong. These, they should probably do another bracket and have these guys do like a heavyweight tournament. Or, uh, since they're already doing Mason Fowler versus um, Gordon Ryan, it would be a good matchup to see Nick Rodriguez go against Marigali. We haven't seen that one yet. Um, That would be interesting. It would also be a good measure for Marigali. Nick Rodriguez has been the silver medalist in the heavyweight division every year, so... Uh, conceivably, if he can beat him, then, well, that shows that he would be the champion. If we, we did BJJ math, which we know th- doesn't always work out that right, but it would be a good match to put together. So I would say definitely that would be one to do. Now, as for the, the topic of the day, how to break somebody. If you watched Marigali versus Felipe Pena, or if you watched, uh, I would say, Bagner Rocha versus Victor Severio, it's a good recipe for how to do that. You just have to constantly pressure somebody. This is something that I did early in my career because I wasn't technically strong. I, I had a lot of stamina and a lot of drive and a lot of heart. But technically, I was pretty weak early in my career. So the way I won was through unrelenting pressure. And you need a few things to be able to do that one. You need cardio. If you don't have the gas tank to be able to push somebody the entire match and basically keep the match at your pace, right? What you don't want is somebody to take over the pace because then you lose the pressure game. You need to be the one in control of the pace and being able to apply it. Normally, this is going to mean being the top guy, right? It's kind of, Not impossible, but it's usually more difficult to put that type of pressure off your back. Not impossible, but uh, it's definitely difficult and definitely more risky because if you're going to be putting a lot of pressure off your back, that's probably going to imply that you're opening your guard and you're attacking for submissions, uh, making you more likely to be in a compromised position where your opponent could pass or advance their position. So... Uh, If you're trying to really pressure somebody, usually you're going to see it done from the top or from a standing position. Hanging on the head, a lot of feints, um, making them defend a lot. You you want to put your opponent on the back foot. If the opponent is moving into you, it's going to be harder to have that type of strategy of getting them to mentally break. But when you're the one putting all the pressure, you're initiating all the, the scrambles, Uh, and you are constantly showing up there. And you have the drive, and your instinct, your motivation is to break this guy. You're not thinking, I'm going to finish this really quickly and catch him in the submission. If you think that, then you're going to have a problem when that doesn't happen. And this is kind of a, also a guy who thinks this, who literally said this, was Big Dan. That's a, he said his goal is to finish as quickly as possible and get out of there. So what happens when you don't fulfill that? And again, quickly is relative, but I already imagine for most people, you would think the first five minutes, you don't get that. You failed your goal. Now you're in uncharted territory, right? right. You don't want to say those type of things to yourself. Instead, I would say, I'm going to break this guy, pour unrelenting pressure on him until he just wants out of there. And then I'll give him a good reason to get out of there, right? When you have that type of mindset, it can be five minutes. It could be 35 minutes. You can still be able to pour on that pressure to get that victory. Um, But if you're hoping just for the quick finish, like I said, it's a very different strategy mentally and that's kind of an all-for-nothing type of approach in my opinion you want to be more sound in being able to wear someone out and it doesn't take that long like mason fowler did it in regulation right i think if i recall it was probably around seven minutes or so and that match was over uh so you can break someone pretty fast if you put a lot of pressure on them they'll break pretty fast right uh also this depends on the opponent's toughness right the tougher they are the harder they're going to be to break and then you might have to go into overtimes or whatnot and that is hard to determine you know that's on an individual basis Uh, but you if you apply enough pressure to somebody you can't break them and the best way to break somebody is to put them in the position they're most uncomfortable in right so if you know like this guy is great on his feet, right? For example, if I was gonna to try to break Nicky Rodriguez from a standing position, it would be extremely difficult. Right? He's very comfortable on his feet. That's where he likes to be. I'm gonna have a hard time doing that. But if just for sake of argument, say he is very uncomfortable being in uh half guard. If I could keep him on a half guard, on his flat on his back like three or four minutes and just like you know driving my shoulder into his chin or whatever i'm going to be in a good position to break him down right again assuming he's uncomfortable being there this is a hypothetical but hopefully you understand my point if you know a position your opponent does not like being and you can force him and keep him there for a long time that will go a long way towards breaking that guy all right Again, typically most people don't like being in the really compromised positions like being back mount or mount or whatever. But um, any position that they're just even slightly uncomfortable with is going to give you much better results than a position that they're neutral with or they even favor, right? So you got to find the weak points in their game and try to put them in there long enough. Uh, Because again, breaking somebody is not just physical, it's mental right? If you physically fatigue them mentally, they will fold. But if you could put them in a position that they perceive as very stressful for them, you're going to have much better results, right? And as a result, they're going to tend to panic more and exert more physically to get out of this bad position that they don't like being. Just think of like someone who's claustrophobic, right? If You really wanted to wear someone out who's claustrophobic, you stick them in a tight closet and just lock them in there. And they'll just you know, freak themselves out. They're doing the work for you, right? You just have to put them in that place. That is what you're trying to do when you're trying to break somebody. You want to treat them like they're claustrophobic. You just got to find the closet to put them in, right? Maybe that, like I said, that closet's bottom half guard. Maybe it's, you know, bottom side control. Maybe it's a 50-50, right? Whatever that position is, you know, whatever their closet is, throw them in there and let them suffer and you let them cook there for long enough, and they'll be begging to get out of there, right? As you can see, you know, like the the Pan match is a good example, the, you know, the Victor Saverio versus Wagner Rocha was another good example of somebody that, you know, they just tapped like, okay, get me out of here, I'm done, all right? Um, So that's the goals, right? If we could just really sum it down, I want to mentally break somebody, And, like I said, this is not the only way to win. Like like I said, the first two finishes of the day were arm bars, and those were catches, right? Like, opponent was fresh. They weren't broken. They just got caught. They put themselves in a bad spot, and boom, it's done. And that's always good, you know, but against a very tough opponent, it's probably going to be difficult to get that quick catch. Not impossible, but difficult. But what you can rely on is trying to break them right and that's like a more sound uh philosophy especially if you're doing one-off matches if you have like eight matches for the day then you might you know thinking well grinding out eight people is going to be tough right uh stamina wise but if you're doing a super fight or one-off grinding someone out is always an option right uh so it's a strategy like i said i've used many times Um, the one that stands out the most is when I beat Zanji Hibero in the ADCC Absolute 2007. I went into the match with a clear goal of wearing him out. I knew he was bigger than me, stronger than me, more technical than me, right? So I was like, the only way I'm going to win this is by wearing him out. I knew I would have an upper hand in wrestling, and I knew I could put a lot of pressure from the top position. And, uh... It became a bit of both. He kind of avoided the wrestling early on. Uh, I think I scored an early takedown in the no score period, and then I put a lot of pressure on top, and it was just lots of top pressure the whole time. You know, so didn't get any scores, but I was the one dictating the pace, and that match went 25 minutes, three overtimes. Uh, But I knew it was going to go deep. So uh, that was the, the strategy going in there, you know, and when you're facing a tough guy, that's what you can expect, right? And it's a, like I said, a strategy that, you can, that, that can be counted on. If you know the positions you're strong at, the positions your opponent's weak at, you can utilize this to great effect. So how to break somebody, all right? Hopefully that comes into use, right? Uh, and uh, you guys let me know what you think about that. I'll see you guys next week. Hopefully my voice will be back to normal. Take care.
0: Thanks, guys, for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the episode. As always, please share, like, comment, all that good stuff, and uh, help us spread the word about breaking the guard. And, of course, visit the website davidmma.com. Join. We actually host a podcast there as well. You might be seeing this on Spotify or some other uh, podcast platform. But we do have the video uh, hosted on DavidMMA.com, which is free to access. You don't have to enroll. So if you want to get it in video format, you can take a look at DavidMMA.com. Besides, that's where we have all the techniques, all the courses, all the other stuff that you've come to expect from me. You can get it at DavidMMA.com.